0: Thanks for tuning in to the Replatform podcast sponsored by attracting Tonight Basonics. You're listening to myself, James Gerd, my co-host Paul Rogers, is off on exciting duties. Uh, hello to regular listeners. Thanks for tuning back in. A warm welcome if it's your first time. We hope you like it. We'd love for you to subscribe if you get new episode alerts every week. We drop an episode every Tuesday. And do give us a like on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, etc., if you enjoy the episode. So our topic today is a cracking one. It's really, really important. It's using e-commerce experimentation tech to improve digital customer experiences. Right? There are so many reasons why experimentation test is important, but primarily putting data behind, whether it's punches or it's opportunities identified through customer research, but putting validation behind what you're doing. And a lot of e-commerce teams do testing to make incremental improvements, but fewer fully embrace experimentation. And we've got um, a, a, an experimentation um, technology leader on today, so we're going to do the instructions in a minute. We're focused on the Optimizely platform. Used to be EpiServer. Um, EpiServer then acquired Optimizely and they rebranded as Optimizely. And today, Optimizely represents um, uh, orchestration, commerce, experimentation. So, quite an interesting um, kind of ecosystem. And we're going to cover experimentation and understand what it really means, type of business it's best suited to, and the impact of testing on site performances, for example. So, first off, I want to thank David Bowen, who is the man, the myth, the legends, the VP of products um, based in the UK, I've known for years, who set this up. He has very kindly introduced his colleague, um, David Carlyle. Um, It will say hello in a minute. He's a senior director of product strategy based in the US. Um, He's got a lot of experience. So we've got a really good practitioner on today. He's had retail e-commerce experience at Neiman Marcus, worked with clients across the product stack with experiments, uh, experimentation strategies in his current role. So a warm welcome, David. How are you, sir?
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'm doing great, James. I'm really excited to be chatting with you today.
0: Yeah, I, I love it. It's so nice to have somebody who's got the the hands-on practitioner viewpoint of experimentation, but also now helping other people to to can, yeah, accelerate their technical capabilities around it. So, before we start asking you all the fun questions, do you want to give people uh, intro a bit about yourself, your role, and then you know, um, for those who don't know, Optimizely as well how how would you position Optimizely from an experimentation?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I have, you know, a little bit more than a, a decade of experience here in the, you know, analytics and e-commerce and experimentation space. Uh, as you mentioned, I most of my background has been working in retail specifically um, on testing programs. And then ultimately I made my way after consulting to Optimizely uh, to help customers adopt and use the platform to get value. And I've been really lucky to work with some of our largest, you know, global customers. Um, see them adopt this process, see their struggles and their pitfalls, and uh, you know learn from that and try and take that to more and more customers here over the last six years that I've been at Optimizely. Um, you know the last few now transitioning into product and and leading our product strategy for the experimentation part of our stack, which I'm really excited to share with you today. You know for those that maybe are familiar but don't know deeply what Optimizely does, our mission is really to enable customers to unlock their digital potential. Um, you know, a lot of our customers have apps, websites, or platforms, and you know they use a suite of tools. They have a bunch of processes that they go through. They make decisions about what content to push, what features to build. They're trying to optimize and in- improve those platforms, and this work is is not easy. It takes coordination and effort, and development and investment. And you know, we really seek to build tools and, and platforms that help customers you know, on that journey of optimizing their platforms to create the best customer experiences. So that's kind of the 60 second elevator pitch of, of what we do. And that encompasses content management, um, that in, that encompasses sort of commerce, uh, e-commerce and B2B platforms. And then lastly, the part of the stack that I'm really responsible for is is the testing and experimentation tools that sort of sit on top of that stack and allow you to use data to try out new experiences, receive this feedback from your customers' behaviors and the metrics you track, and and use that to make decisions to improve the platforms.
0: Excellent. No, yeah, nice, nicely explained. And this is a bit I'm really interested in because I've known ep- a new episode for a long time. I've not seen so much of where the experimentation bit has gone since the Optimize Elite acquisition. So I, I'm intrigued as well. Quickly, though, to help, because we have people of all different levels of seniority and experience and backgrounds on here listening. Could you just succinctly explain from from, um, your your perspective, what does experimentation mean versus testing? So
1: how is experimentation different to testing? Certainly. I mean, I I think sometimes those words are used synonymously. um, You know, perhaps uh, uh, experimentation is more the cultural mindset. Hey, like, you know, we're going to use this mindset to make decisions. You know, we're going to use this as sort of the way that we remove roadblocks. A lot of times I'm working with large organizations where they have deep-rooted traditional ways of making decisions, uh, deep-rooted traditional ways of um, getting to the results they want. And a lot of times we use experimentation to sort of pivot and move them into a a new growth-oriented mindset. You know, hey, why not just test it? Why not, you know, experiment here? What do you have to lose? And I think You know, throughout today, if I say testing or experimentation, I'm referring to the sort of process of um, letting the tool sort of divide traffic into two groups and comparing the behaviors of these two groups. And, um, you know, this is akin to, uh, you know, what they do with pharmaceutical drugs or any sort of, you know, science experiment where they, they have a hypothesis, they divide this into two groups and they introduce... Uh, a new drug or a new chemical into the the A or the B group. And then they monitor the results of that and they extrapolate that out to, you know, to actually define whether this medicine is working or not. We do the same thing on a website, you know, um, if I come to neomarkes.com and it knows that I traditionally shop these brands or perhaps it knows my gender or perhaps it knows my geolocation. Maybe I buy different clothes in California than, Um, you'd be buying in the UK right now because it's a little colder where you are. And so, you know, these small changes make the website feel more personal and more relevant. And um, that often leads to more engagement, more customer satisfaction, more in the e-commerce world, more purchases.
0: And um, not all all organizations or e-commerce needs are set up for experimentation. Because as you say, it's a cultural shift for people to drive decision-making rather than just how we've traditionally done it. What type, size, or size business does your to specifically optimize these experimentation platforms suit? So,
1: does it cover all sizes? Is it more aimed at mid enterprise market? Um, we're we're all sizes. You know, we have uh, you know, customers that are small. We have customers in the mid market, and we work with you know some of the largest global brands at the enterprise uh, top. I think the size is, you know, the size is not as important. I work with testing teams that's a mighty team of one. It's one person who pushes all the changes to the website. It's one person who designs all the tests. It's one person that uh, reads the results of the tests. You know, it's uh, and I've I've worked with companies who have a, a, you know thirty or forty people on their testing team across different parts of the stack. So I don't think the size is as important. The size is as important as as perhaps having some sort of environment that you're trying to improve or optimize and some way to track whatever you're trying to optimize. You know, for example, uh, we have customers that manage scrolling text on a digital billboard. You know, they use our CMS platform to manage how the texts change on that digital billboard. And, you know, that's tough to measure the impact of changing the text on a billboard unless you offer some sort of number that they can call in or text, unless you have some sort of, metric you can measure from that. But really what's important is you have some sort of environment you, you're you wanting to improve and you can track a metric that you're trying to improve so you can measure success.
0: And a key question um, is the skill set that's needed. Because you said about actually resourcing, you can have it with just one person versus large teams. And I would say with great tooling comes great responsibility. As you invest in technology, you've got better use it. So what skills would you advise people need if they're getting started with a tool like your experimentation platform? What are the skills that they need, whether that's in-house or
1: through, you know, um, third parties they work? working? Certainly. I think there's tangible and um, intangible skills here. You know, something that's tough to measure but really valuable is just curiosity, you know, um, you know wondering if you have a hypothesis, what the outcome will be and just generally being curious adds to it, but that's tough to measure. But I think, you know, skills that are measurable are, um, certainly having an understanding of how to read and interpret data, having an analyst on your testing team always helps. Um, you know, someone who understands how the internet works, uh, I know that's, that's silly, but, um, if you don't understand that, you know, I might be on my phone here in California, and I go to nike.com and that reaches out to a server and pulls down code and brings it back to my device. And just a general understanding of that really helps. Um, this typically is, is the engineer or the developer or the technical resource on the testing team that has this understanding. Um, and then, you know, someone in, in marketing who has an understanding of personas, as we sort of move beyond testing into personalization, having an understanding of who the customer base is, And, um, knowing how to communicate to your different personas, those are valuable skill sets to have, um, even at Optimizely, we, we have the, probably the largest collection of, of A-B testing subject matter experts in, in the world. You know, we have a lot of people that have been doing this for a long time. And so we have to constantly remind ourselves that testing, testing ain't easy. You know, this isn't easy. And we have to make sure that we're communicating to our customers at the right level of maturity, whether you're just getting started or you've been doing this for five years. And so, um, you know, that's sort of, that's that's not all encompassing. That's not sort of all the resources that you need. You certainly, if you're working in an iOS application um, with our feature flagging solution, you might need, you know, QA resources to test the sort of experience before it gets rolled out to the app store. You know, um, certainly if you're working with our, testing content, then perhaps somebody who understands how to push that content live through the CMS. These are all sort of um, roles and resources that are valuable to the testing team. And I think you know, one thing that's different about testing or experimentation versus maybe other platforms is that it doesn't have a central owner. A lot of times our stakeholders could be someone in e-commerce and digital, or it could be the um, engineering and CTO or it could be the analytics and data science team. We often have customers where the primary stakeholder of our software is is different for each customer. And so I think that's always interesting to me because if it's owned by the analytics team, well you might need you might need technical resources added to your analytics team to build those experiments versus Well, if it's owned by the engineering team, you already have those technical resources. So perhaps you need the the analyst resources to read the data to make sense of the outcomes. And so it kind of does shift depending on the primary owners of, of that part of your stack.
0: Attract, your complete product discovery growth engine. Create relevant shopping experiences that convert into sales and grow online revenue with personalized search, merchandising, and recommendation solutions powered by AI. Find out more at attract.com. Yeah, it's an interesting I'm glad you pulled out the, the customer insight piece because it the uh, you know, I don't have the same expertise as you, but the projects I have been involved in where a lot of the, the testing falls down is what they're testing, the principle and hypothesis is sound and the analysis of where the issue is is sound or the opportunity. But the execution is totally not in line with the customer, so therefore you get a false read. So having you're right, it's it's a joined up perspective to have the right skills to execute um and are you seeing any growth in in like product strategists owning this piece within any clients you work with because i've seen a lot more in the uk specifically in europe more product owners being appointed within e-commerce rather than an e-commerce manager
1: yeah absolutely so you know these product owners are um responsible for developing a roadmap and finding the future of either the platform they own or the the area within a platform that they own and, you know, they're managing resources to build features and then rolling out those features. And without a platform, like, you know, optimizely or without a a testing and experimentation mindset here, it's tough to understand the impact of the feature that you built. And this is often how the, those product owners or product managers are measured is the impact that they're bringing to the platform through the investment in those features. So yeah, we have a lot of, of product specific use cases, certainly with our feature experimentation and feature flagging tool set, which, you know, uh, is something we can dive a little bit deeper into later. But we're really starting to push in into that persona as well and and trying to make sure that people know we're not just built for marketers that, you know, we have a suite of tools for m- many personas.
0: Just just shut my dogs. My dog decided to walk in and hear what you're saying. He's obviously into experimentation, David um yeah what another question that that um that, that comes up a lot when I speak to to the smaller teams who don't have the the wider skill set is the seduction on the idea of like code free testing I will just get platform I can do it all myself I'd love you to be able to like articulate to people if you're an e-commerce team listening and you don't have lots of developer resource what can you realistically test yourself without before you have to code um, but um, execute and test.
1: Yeah, this this is a great question. It's often um, it's oftentimes where testing programs start. They start with a visual editor making small changes and then, you know, as they build the muscle, as they build their maturity here, then they start getting to more and more complex test use cases. And sometimes they're able to accomplish that through a visual editor and sometimes that takes them to the next level of needing. Develop a developer resource to write code for them, but you know, I would say here is, it's you know the, the the sort of front end versus back end argument or client side versus server side with um, a visual editor, um, something like Optimizely Web or, or anything like that. Um, this is modifying what we call the use the UI or the client side, and so customer builds a platform, they host that code on the server. When I'm on my phone and I open that application. I pull that code down from the customer server, whether that's Nike or fill in the blank for whatever customer. And um, that code loads on my phone or my computer, and it makes a a nice-looking website or application. But what loads there is what's modifiable by the visual editor. You're just modifying the code that has come from the server. Uh, you're not fundamentally changing. You could hide things or add things, but you're just modifying sort of the visual experience. So the color of things, the size of things, perhaps the relative positioning of things. Uh, you're, You're not necessarily changing business logic. You're not changing the search results or the underlying algorithm that might be feeding the product recommendations. Um, you're not changing any of the underlying technologies. Like, you know, if someone performs an internal search on an e-commerce website that uses an API to reach out and get search results and come back. So with the visual editor testing, you're only changing the UI, that front visual layer, and you're only changing the code that has already come back from the server. Um, and so, you know, that's different than our server side solution, which is integrated on your customer server. And that's where you'd be changing code on the server, but just, you know, to stay laser focused on the question. Um, I often find that the visual editor use cases can take a customer, you know, probably through their first year or 18 months of testing, you know, if done right. Um, and certainly you can use the visual editor as a really mature customer. But typically after 12 to 18 months, you're starting to have use cases that would re- would probably benefit from custom dev. And let me kind of give you an example. You know, if if you use our visual editor and you drop 10,000 lines of code in the visual editor, we're gonna execute 10,000 lines of code. We're gonna give you a message that says, hey, this, this is probably not a good idea, but we'd execute 10,000 lines of code. That's probably not a good customer experience for the code to come back from the server, and then you to wait again for 10,000 lines of code to be applied to the page, that would probably cause what we call the flicker. That would probably cause, you know, a bad customer experience. And so you're usually after about 12 to 18 months of working with Optimize getting to the point where your use cases are getting more complex. They're getting larger. You're doing full page redesigns. You're changing um, larger functionality on your site. And that's when it behooves you to maybe think do I need to add a developer resource to code this in? Is this maybe a test use case that's better for the server side testing platform? Perhaps this is something that we don't want to do with the visual editor.
0: I'm also state. I'm assuming now um, that the, um, the experimentation piece is fully integrated across the stack. Is it because let's take an example. Um, when it was EpiServer before it rebranded, yeah. The, the, uh, the business had introduced like personalized search, it was getting advanced merchandise and there was a lot of really good rich features. You know, there were lots of other, um, acquisitions around like content personalization, video, et cetera. So is the experimentation piece integrated across all of those facets? So you, can you do, can you change, um, test different search algorithms? Can you, um, test
1: merchandiser strategies across the site now? Yeah, we, we've been attacking this for a few years and I'd say it's, it's kind of in multiple layers. The first layer would be, you know, the ability to, to to natively toggle on and, and, you know, one button implement other products in the, um, you know, e-commerce platform. So you're a user of Optimizely e-commerce platform. You want to add the visual editor, which we know as Optimizely Web, just toggle a button. And it installs the visual editor and you're off and running. That's probably the first layer of integration with our products. And so, you know, certainly we've achieved that today. And then the second layer of of integration might be, okay, now that I've installed uh, and implemented sort of this testing platform and I'm making changes, um, you know, what are ways that I can maybe automate uh, and deploy features on behalf of the customer that helps them? So if you push something in the commerce platform, can that... Automatically have feature flags wrapped around it so you can toggle that on and off in our feature management platform um, and so that's kind of the second layer of integration where beyond just being able to install with one button we also want to make it easier for customers to use multiple products at the same time and that's where we are today you know really focusing on the harmony between these platforms
0: yeah that makes sense um so a bit of an ally here but um a few Clients I've worked with who've had SPAs, um, and I know uh, know, single page applications, and I know you give an explanation of what that is and how it differs. And I know these are kind of phasing out and not as many people are using these days, but they found that um, implementing experimentation tooling and and testing tooling was more challenging. Could you talk? So, how do you cope with that? How does Optimizer solve that? And are there
1: additional challenges people need to understand in terms of integration? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned uh, SPA, SPA, single-page applications. Um, you know, Historically, uh, coding a website, each time someone would click through to the next page on your website, maybe from the home page to a category page, it would refresh the entire page, all the code on the page. And the purpose of the single-page app is to maybe only refresh the parts of the pages that are necessary uh, when a customer is clicking through. So instead of refreshing the whole page, uh, only refresh the elements that need to be visually changed so that you're improving the performance and you know showing these changes and, and quickly more more quick to the user because you're refreshing less and less of the page. So um, this is great for performance, but it's challenging for tools like experimentation tools that um, really depend on this full page refresh to tell us when the customer is navigated to the next page. So if you're on the home page, and you click on an element on the home page that takes you to the next page. It, if, if there's not a whole page refresh, sometimes tools don't understand that the customer has navigated to the next page. Therefore we don't reach out and get the most recent file to apply to the next page. Now you can see where the complication comes. And so, you know, specifically with Optimizely, we do have capabilities to work with single page application frameworks, um, react JS and the likes and, um, Specifically to, to throw some buzzword technologies out, uh, we have there, it's called mutation observers, which look for any change in the code base. So we're no longer reliant on a full page refresh. We're no longer reliant on the URL actually changing. We just have some technology that looks for any changes on the page to occur. And if we see that, we can signal back to our servers to send the most updated file back to optimizely. So we know, okay, the customer is on a new page, here's what needs to be applied. Um, so specifically with with our uh, testing platform, we do work well with single page apps on on the web side, and on the server side, we have native SDKs to work with React and and JavaScript, so we can kind of very tightly integrate with the way that single page applications work.
0: I, I love this big mutation observer. So I'm going to use. I'm going to drop that into a meeting randomly and see if I get blank faces. Uh, yeah. excellent. One uh, of the key concerns uh, that I guess people who are not on the technical side and don't understand the the integration capabilities is that you stick more technology on, you slow the page down, you slow performance, you you compromise your overall user experience. And you talked about the flicker of the client side versus the efficiency of the server side. You did talk through how does Optimize's architecture minimize and help customers deliver testing without screwing up that that page
1: performance. Yeah. I think, I think sort of the, the concerns for performance have probably always been around, but they've really ramped up the last five or six years, uh, at least with our customer base. And I'm, I'm sure everywhere, I think probably somewhere, uh, a large traditionally respected company, you know, that was a market leader published metrics around, you know, the p- percentage increase or decrease on their conversion based on a hundred or a thousand milliseconds of delays. And, um, you know, it. For them, for the, that large, respected market-leading company, it was millions and millions of dollars, and I think a lot of people saw that and thought, "What's my performance?" and um "Okay, how can I increase this to improve conversion?" So, well, I generally think that the focus on performance is is great. I often find in practice that there is there is an um, an equilibrium point here where you know performance gets about as good as it can get without you reinvesting in technology and changing the way you fundamentally do things. So. Um, you know, overall uh, I think apps and website websites should be fast, but I do have customers that disregard performance because they can. For example, um the airlines industry. They're almost always going to sell all the tickets on a plane. And if you need to travel somewhere, you're probably going to wait a few seconds for that page to load so you can buy your ticket, and I think um now they've started introducing ways to help you understand the page's loading if you go to you know an, an airlines website now or you even if you load a, a, and try to book an Uber you know if you try to book an Uber it tells you searching for nearby drivers and it just shows you this loading icon and when you're booking an Uber you're willing to sit there and wait on it to do its thing to find you a car and I think this is an example of how not everything has to be per- as performed as possible as long as you just tell me you're doing the job in the background I'm comfortable to wait for you to do what you need to do. And so uh, I, I do think generally faster is better when it comes to performance here, but I do think there's ways to handle it if you need more time to figure out the results of something. And so, you know, we've been focusing for the last five or six years really on this so we could be ahead of our competition. We were sort of the at first people to go to market with an enterprise-grade server-side offering, This is different than sort of the visual editor. This is different than the Optimizely web testing platform that we've uh, been talking about. This is um, SDKs that are natively deployed in your code base. They sit on your server and you make changes at the server level, not sort of on the front end, not on the visual level. Um, And these are virtually zero latency because uh, they're executed on the customer server. You know, just to kind of double down into this, the reason that latency, Or the reason that performance can be slowed with a testing platform is because after the website loads, client-side testing platforms then apply their changes. And it happens very quick. It happens within 100 or 200 milliseconds. But depending on many factors, you know, how good your mobile device or uh, desktop internet connection is, what's the size of the, the changes that need to be applied, you know, just general, um, you know, processing power on your device. All these things can affect the speed at which the changes are applied. And if it's too slow, and the user sees those changes applied, this is called the flicker, and this is a bad customer experience because you saw something and then it changed before your eyes, and that that makes you a bit skeptical. So, um, by going the server side route, by natively. Uh, deploying SDKs on the server, we don't have a secondary network call. We don't introduce downloading and applying changes because the changes are shipped with the page code through the customer's app. So, um, you know, with full stack, we completely negate the concerns around performance with, you know, that's our feature experimentation, um, server-side testing platform with Optimizely Web, which is this client-side visual editor that kind of been talking about We're also the first to offer um, enterprise-level edge capabilities. So, you know, I'm not an expert in in CDN technology, but um, CDN technology itself has been around for quite a long time. You know, these are companies like Akamai and Cloudflare that have servers distributed all over the world. And so if I'm here in California and I go to a website, I get a server in California that feeds me that website. And if you know, somebody's in Germany or wherever and they go to the same website, they get a server in Germany that feeds them the information for that website. And so this distributed network of content that's sort of close to you geographically makes things load faster. This is how CDNs work. And Edge is a little bit newer and a little bit faster CDN technology. It's a bit of a different technology. And we launched the uh, feature set where you can use Optimizely Web on edge networks. Uh... We have the only that I know of sort of enterprise-grade Edge Network, but in addition to that, there's a lot of built-in features that um, help with performance here, something we call auto-page trimming. So if you have set up uh, pages, audiences, and events and Optimizely and they're not being used in an active experiment, they're sort of archived and removed on your behalf. So this takes them and makes sure that there's not unnecessary things loading, increasing the performance. And also we have... Integrations with the four major cloud providers, as I mentioned, Akamai, Cloudflare, Fastly, and um, and others where you can self-host the SDK. So instead of us hosting it on the Optimizely CDN, you can take on the responsibility of, of hosting it on your CDN where your website or where your application is hosted. Therefore, reducing one outbound network request, basically minimizing the impact performance. So because we've been doing this for the last five or six years, we have... Bit, had the great opportunity of working with customers and designing solutions here that fits their performance needs. And so we, I think we have some great perspective on how we can, you know, get to that right performance for each customer.
0: It's a good point though, that that speed isn't the only performance measure here. And I, I think that's such an important thing because the success criteria, uh, you've got to have the right metrics nailed down to know that, Slower speed could not impact like commercial metrics, and you could get a better overall conversion rate by improving the user experience, but slowing the speed down. And there have been good case studies shown. So yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you pulled that out. But I guess it's interesting that the server side point of view enables businesses who, who the impact of maybe making large strategic changes, like changing search technology, for example, enables them to to test that um, effectively. So you could you could basically get A B run two different search engines against each other and integrating to get better
1: speed yeah. has anyone ever that done the huge, uh, yeah, this is a huge use case here, testing, uh, technology versus technology. And, um, I tell this to every customer that will listen to me, you know, maybe they'll do it, maybe they won't, but, uh, I certainly say they should is sing your way into your tech stack. And we have a number of customer examples where they had this incumbent search vendor and they had a new sexy vendor come in and tell them they really wanted their business and they would give them better technology for a better price. And so our customer would use Optimizely feature experimentation to A-B test one vendor versus another. And something really interesting happens when you do this because um, when you go to your incumbent vendor and you tell them you're gonna test their technology against a new vendor, all of a sudden they show up with a bunch of new strategies. They show up with a bunch of ways to improve your experience. And you're like, well, where has this been the last decade we've been paying the bill? Um, but what else happens is when you run the test, let's say the new the new technology actually does improve performance and does improve metrics, and you can measure that ROI, you know exactly how much return on that investment you're going to get. So you kind of know how much you want to pay for that technology. If it's going to bring you a million dollars in incremental search revenue, well, you probably don't want to pay more than a million dollars for that technology. So it gives you some leverage in the contract negotiation to say, hey, this is what your technology is worth to us. And so this is what we're going to pay. And this is really, really um, cool and mature way to use our software to test your way into your tech stack.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a really powerful thing because no disrespect to, to, to some technology companies out there, but you know people put forward positive testimonies and case studies, of course you do, that's marketing. But the the claims of, you know, double your conversion, it's just that the use cases are so varied and the impact changes from, from business to business that you really have got to know, you're right, it's an interesting viewpoint actually, you know, the strength in the negotiation, not just the confidence to change. Interesting. Uh, let's talk about the operational implications because for, for people who aren't used to running know large-scale testing or experimentation strategies i guess they so can think about oh my god this sounds like there's gonna be a lot of work how will i manage it how will i stay on top of it um you know how, how do you coordinate you know and project manage can you talk through the program management tool in, that the
1: provides and what impact this has on like you know planning and, and management efficiency certainly yeah I, I love this question because often um it's often overlooked you know uh When we go through an RFP with a customer and they're planning out how much they need to spend in technology, or they often overlook what's necessary to actually coordinate and run and the collaboration piece necessary. I use the um, the analogy of an iceberg here with customers a lot. You know what most people see in your organization is the tip of the iceberg. They they see the hypothesis and the outcome. It's like what did we think was going to happen and what actually happened is all they see. And but underneath the the surface of the iceberg certainly has greater mass. And there's all this work and alignment and collaboration and planning and documentation, the development of the test, QAing the test, reading the results and putting this together. Like, There's so much work that goes into the outcome of a test and most people just see the outcome of a test. And um, we noticed this. Uh, this is one of the biggest requested features. We we're using the voice of the customer here and they just kept saying like, Hey, your platform is great, but like I just need something to help me coordinate this because it doesn't really fit in Jira and it doesn't really fit in Microsoft Excel and it doesn't really fit in here and Slack. I just don't, how do I manage this? And so um we began building a set of features to help, you know, project manage your experimentation program. We call it program management. And then over the you know, course of the last few years, we've been actively working on. Um, building in our sort of CMP workflow capabilities into experimentation, so the same sort of workflows that our uh, our content management system uses to help content producers collaborate with designers and content producers and publish content live, we've created a set of workflows specifically designed for you know experimentation, where it can help you gather the hypothesis and assign stakeholders and manage this test idea through your testing program. Um, It also, you know, uh, becomes one central repository for your learnings, which I think is often overlooked as well. You know, you could be testing and having a lot of test wins, but if they're just going all over the place and they're not kept in a central repository, you know, everybody who comes along that joins that testing team starts from zero. They don't have sort of this collective knowledge of the tests that have and haven't worked and i think this is a really important piece of your your healthy testing culture is to have a repository where somebody can read all all the previous test outcomes and then begin to make better judgment about what they want to test because they you know have the understanding of what was tested in the past and so yeah we believe this is a big part of the undertaking of a testing program and we're investing heavily here and and you know shameless plug but you could go to optimizee.com and look under the orchestrate tab and and sign up for uh, this for free and test it out today, um, and you can see sort of the sort of workflows that we have built out to allow you to manage content or experimentation.
0: I think that's that's a really important point, and I, it's, I'm glad you're focusing on that area as well, um, because documentation and the sharing of knowledge within in larger businesses around tests. I worked, I did some work with with a massive account global accountancy company once, and there just there was no knowledge base. And you had people who'd done really good testing in one country or even different teams within the same country and nobody had visibility of it. So you had duplication of effort and no ability for what works somewhere to be transmitted down so that, you know, the testing lead in France could see what the UK's done and go, well, that's a great idea for a test, actually. Why aren't we testing that? It, it's it, it's, su- it's such a brilliant thing to do. And you're right. I mean, I, I say it's an all technology selections I get in. It's, it's the, the operational implications, process management, documentation. Like how will you do that? How will you maintain control? So, yeah, interesting to hear. Thank you.
1: Yeah,
0: um, Here's a fun question for you. Um, what are some of the most effective uses of optimizer you've seen from working across different clients? Like any big wins or any, like, you know, Eureka moments or anything like Oh, that's a very, very cool bit of testing.
1: Well, I think... I think... Yes. I think that's what we typically try to do here is um, teach frameworks as opposed to specific strategies. And I'll give you some examples to build this out. Um, I think it's better to, to talk about these high-level buckets or strategies, and then to help customers develop use cases within each bucket, as opposed to just give them a couple of use cases. Um, you know, for example... The framework that we use is called the value driver framework, and we'll often go to customers and say, you know, hey, we took a look at your, you know, at the platform and the last 100 tests that you've ran have been, you know, focused on increasing revenue, and that's great, but you do know there are other areas you can drive value through experimentation. Let us share with you some of those areas. And so, you know, increasing revenue and engagement is a very effective strategy because usually that's what is going to make an executive uh, happy, you know, and obviously you have to make executives happy, but, you know, also there's say, sort of say a strategy of reducing the uh, customer interaction costs, you know, um, let's, let's think about in the, in the use case of of retail, uh, do you want to offer a chat bot to all customers or do you want to offer the sort of the the chat functionality for just customers that are logged in, or do you want to offer just that, that ability to chat and get um, information to customers that are logged in that are your highest spending customers. You know, what is the cost of that chatbot and should we offer it to all customers that come to the website or should we offer it to the customers that um, are our most valued customers that have the highest lifetime value and how does that change the marginal spend on this technology, right? And so um, maybe reducing customer interaction costs is a strategy that you need to have multiple tests to try and go improve or um, mitigating risk. Uh, You know, this is a really big sort of value driver in the server-side feature experimentation, feature management space. You know, we talked about product managers as a persona that we often work with. They're building features, they're rolling out features, and their greatest fear would be it comes time to roll out their feature and they roll out their feature and it doesn't work. There's a bug in production. It couldn't handle production, load, traffic, whatever the circumstance is. And so, you know, through a healthy feature testing, feature rollout process that you do with our software, you can minimize the risk of having bugs in your production code. And even if one does happen to slip through, you can use a toggle switch to roll that back very easily and optimize lead feature management. And so, you know, this might be an area where it's not just one use case, but it's the practice of um, progressive delivery of feature rollouts, feature flagging to give you that risk mitigation that's important and um you know i always make the same joke here Uh, a good testing strategy a good testing roadmap is like a good stock portfolio it's diversified and i think you need to have a set of use cases at each one of these value drivers so that you can show that you're adding value across multiple areas of the business but also you don't have all your eggs in one basket because you know if If you have all your eggs in one basket, well, you're much less likely to have as big an impact as you could. So that's how I feel uh, about that. And I know, you know, testing and experimentation is a little bit different when it comes to planning a roadmap. You know, a lot of times when you're planning and you're in the product org like myself working on a product, you have the luxury of planning a year out you know here's what we want to accomplish in 2023 where with testing and experimentation hopefully you're incorporating your findings along the way and so because you're continually optimizing and incorporating those those insights would this materially changes your roadmap every month every quarter and so i think planning a little bit shorter you know having it publicly accessible for the next 3 months of here are our test ideas and here are the buckets or the strategies that those test ideas are seeking to optimize and then each quarter sitting down and sort of refreshing that to make sure you're incorporating the learnings. Um, and I think it's a really powerful strategy.
0: Let's expand on that actually because I'm really keen to hear because you, you worked. So you yeah, a retailer started at Neomi Marcus and you've come into to a big technology company and work across different clients. So you've got a lot of experience with roadmap planning. What tooling can um, e-commerce teams use to help manage roadmaps effectively? Because I've, I've seen small business where a Trello board Pushing into a a task management system works. I've seen others who who basically invest in more software, but other people using Google Sheets. What 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 are your go to tools for having sensible roadmap management?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> everyone probably defaults to Excel. And, uh, you know, we, we are trying to get our customers, we're trying to provide them the opportunity to get out of Excel. If they want to get out of Excel, we're not, we're not trying to get them out of Excel, but if they say, Hey, like we're, we're so tired of all these documents living in word and Excel, we'd like for it to live in one place. Um, you know, that's what we're trying to build. So we have, um, we have sort of different visual views, uh, within our program management capabilities. You could, you know, You can submit all your test ideas and organize these in a Kanban format. So like under review or in flight or completed um, if that's the way you like to view your roadmap. And we also have the ability to visualize a Gantt chart where you can put in the dates of when these tests or experiments might launch and you can visualize that over time and see sort of the the waterfall of of all your tests running over time. And so um, you could use natively our our platform to do that today. Um, I often see customers using something like airtable um you know a few years back actually I personally worked with Airtable to help build out some of the experimentation um uh, templates in their marketplace and so if you go to airtable today and you search for experimentation you should be able to pull down templates that include uh, experiment idea submission form uh, experiment template planning and experiment roadmap template that help you know so uh, I often see Airtable, but r- really, I'm laughing because most of the time it's in an Excel that makes its way as a screenshot into a PowerPoint, and and that's that's where it lives. Um, you know, I think I'm not sure on this. This might we might need to myth bust this, but I think Excel was um, originally intended for a way to store and capture recipes. There, <laughs> if the original uh, inception of Excel was for people to write down the ingredients of a recipe and save it there and wow look how far it's come it's now the tool we use to manage almost everything in our day-to-day tech library
0: god a good few years back but i worked for a a massive multi-channel retailer and they were like a billion plus business and their entire content management process to upload content to their site like homepage content banners was done through a um, visual basic macro within an Excel spreadsheet. So billion, a yeah. billion pound company's entire website content was dependent on one person in an IT team's ability to support a macro, which was, it worked. I mean, it worked bloody well, but it was, it was mind boggling to see that. But you're right. I mean, Excel is the default go-to Google Sheets.
1: Google Sheets. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. And i got one last question for you, which is, Let's continue the robot theme, but uh, apply it to optimize these product itself. Where is Optimize.ly heading? Like, are you focused on any new feature releases, or is it more about it, it extending capabilities in, in existing features?
1: Um, well, so maybe maybe a little context of our journey too would help here. Just before I, I share explicitly what we're working on, but you know, we're probably in maybe our third our our third iteration as, you know, maybe our third phase, if you if, if you don't like the word iteration, but we're in a third phase. You know, we spent, in our first phase, we spent many years building, you know, uh, platforms, you know, from scratch t- to be best in class point solutions. And, you know, this is the traditional CMS and commerce sides of the world. And then over time, realizing that these worlds are pushing closer and closer together. And, you know, more and more people are adopting an experimentation mindset, Uh, in their commerce strategy this is what's helping them win Uh, you know so their decision was made that we want to move into sort of the second phase as a company and we want to move into this acquisition and merger phase where we um, we buy really powerful uh, technologies that can add synergy to our current platforms and so we moved into that second phase and that's where the acquisition of optimizely and a number of other technologies like a cdp and a content management platform sort of Um, happened. And then we sort of moved into the third phase a couple of years ago where we said, okay, we have the pieces of our product family that we think are really, really important. We feel like we have the best in class pieces. And now what we want to do is focus our energy on implementing that. So it's seamless for our customers to get that synergy. And so that we can create this harmony so that if you're using multiple of our products, it feels like you're using one product, even though you're using multiple parts of our platform. And so um, the last couple of years, that's really defined our roadmap. is Is sort of weaving these technologies together to make it feel like one cohesive platform, so that you get the synergy of having uh, a commerce platform with experimentation built in, or you get the synergy of having a customer data platform that can push, uh, you know, customer cohort data down to the experimentation tool, so you can do personalization. Right? You can see how having more than one tool here adds a lot of capability. And so for the last couple of years, we've been focusing on buttoning up those capabilities to really make sure they all work. And then we constantly um, have to focus on staying relevant and um, best in class in the market in terms of our our privacy and compliance and in terms of our approach to performance, because those are really key concerns for most buyers and most customers out there today. And then lastly, it is about thinking, how do we How do we push the market ahead? And I think I mentioned a couple times today, our use of edge technology, edge CDN technology, which is pretty cutting edge. I think we have, you know, one of the only enterprise grade edge networks that we can deliver content from, as well as we recently brought that to the feature experimentation side of our stack. So having edge SDKs. So if you wanna do this server side, but still use edge, you can. And um, so we are definitely continuing to evolve and, and try and innovate. And the question is, you know how how much do we put into each of these buckets if we have a bucket of harmonizing and integrating existing technologies and a bucket of um innovating and trying to drive the market forward what's the right mix of our product roadmap and i, I think we're probably you know probably probably 60 40 in that regard you know 60 percent of our product roadmap is dedicated at uh, continuing to integrate so that we provide synergies for our customers that use multiple of our products because we have a lot to do as well as you know 40 focused on building new features releasing new features taking customer feedback we have a public facing feedback portal if you go to feedback.optimize.com and you have a feature request you can log it there you can if you log in, you can upvote that feature request. You can see other customers that have upvoted that feature request. That's our voice of the customer tool. We incorporate that into our planning. And so, um, you know, customer uh, requests definitely go into that last bucket. And then innovation, you know, how do we, we didn't even get into, uh, you know, all the all the ML and the AI changes and the chat GPT conversation, but, you know, how much research and data and information is out there that we can pull from to try and inform the user about what to test. Yep. Um, I love this website, iQuant, iQuant.com. If you go there, you can you can put in a website and it will use its models to show you where it thinks the eyeballs would be attracted to on the website. And you know, like that information exists, this modeling exists, and how do we pull that kind of stuff into our platform to show the user, hey, I know you're testing on that area right there, but most customers don't see that they see this area at the top right of your page here's where you should be testing how can we how can we kind of inform our customers on better testing strategies
0: yeah uh, interesting point you made about the the um the customer feedback and rating of features i really like i think uh, gorgeous does it really nicely as well uh, and then you've got the visibility i think it's really good cuz it gives visibility to people um and they can get the inspiration from other people's ideas of what would be a good feature they might not have thought about and then upvote it. So yeah, really nice idea I um, really enjoyed that David um, thanks so much for taking the time. Um, I've learned a load of new stuff as well about where is head and what it's what's capable of. So thank you. If anybody wants to anyone wants to like probe on any of the things we talked about or they've got a potential project to talk about, how do they reach out?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can email me at um, david.carlisle.optimasi.com. You can go to you know the website and click the Contact Us form if it's more general sort of product information. But yeah, any of those means is great to get a hold of me. Uh, LinkedIn always works as well. So, uh, And I'm, I'm excited to uh, hear where you sprinkle in mutation observers in your casual conversation.
0: I'm
1: just going to do it with
0: friends in a pub. That's how it's going to work. <laughs> Excellent. really appreciate it. I've loved it. I'm I'm sure the people listening have got loads of of practical insights out of it, so thank you very much. Uh, Thanks to everyone for listening as well, and do keep your ears open for the next episode. We drop one every week. Do subscribe if you haven't already, and we'd love that rating on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. Thanks very much. Take care, everybody. more information on this topic head over to replatform.fm for our audio podcasts to discuss a project or if you'd like to chat about any of the topics covered in this episode in more detail please reach out to myself james gird or my co-host paul rogers via linkedin and twitter thanks again for listening and keep your ears peeled for the next episode